On this episode of SSI Executive Conversations, Brian Segal of Shurik Solutions sits down with Christopher Ward. Chris is a Chief Marketing Officer with 20 years experience in the industry. On this episode, they discuss marketing in conjunction with MedTech, research and development, and marketing in conjunction with mergers and acquisitions. Hey, we are privileged to have Chris Ward uh, on our SSI Executive Conversations podcast today. Chris is a 20-year MedTech marketing pro who developed the market planning process for GE Healthcare and later served as a Divisional Chief Marketing Officer uh, at Covidian and later Medtronic. He was responsible for growth in its $2 billion U.S. instrumentation business, launching 19 products in a three-year span. He's no stranger to early-stage ventures either, having joined Hyperfine to launch a highly novel bedside MRI system where he built the full sales and marketing front end of the business, which ultimately led to the company's IPO. Uh, He'll tell you that his mission is to put the customer at the heart of the business and product planning decisions, achieving what he calls radar lock on customer priorities and realities. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today uh, to share some of your insights. Um, um, Yeah, I wanted to start off with like marketing, right? Is that Super Bowl ad stuff? Well, Brian, th- first, thanks for having me on. But uh, I've certainly been asked, uh, get us on the Super Bowl. And I've looked up the rates and gotten the rate card. Good idea. Um, I, uh, I, I Get me on Jim Cramer by Thursday. Uh, I've even talked at one point in my know. career to Kathy Ireland's agent, believe it or not. I'm, I'm not sure that was the winning move for a med tech company. But nonetheless, uh, you never know what's going to come across your desk. I got you, man. I got you. So, okay, so marketing, right? You're talking about product management or are you talking about upstream, downstream marketing, talking about, you know, marketing communication, you know, at sometimes I'm confused. Uh, You know, I thought marketing was was really marketing. Yeah. So, Brian, slices in the pie is what I would say. Um, David Packard of Hewlett Packard co-founding fame has a great quote that I love for its uh, backhandedness. Uh, he said, marketing is far too important to be left to the marketing department. <laughs> so, so ouch. But I also love it because it, when you really look at marketing, and that word is incredibly confused, but when you look at marketing, it's at its best, it is a philosophy of management. The idea that we're going to have a department that's going to really think about the customer, that seems all wrong. I mean, a, a business is a collection of costs and revenue comes from outside the company. It kind of feels like that's something we should be focused on every breathing minute in med tech or in any industry. Um, ultimately, I think the purpose of a business is to create a customer. And so for myself, you know, as a marketing, I'll, I'll say pro here, um, but what I think about is marketing creates the opportunity, the environment where a product and a customer come together and then sales closes that final mile. So everything that goes into making that moment happen, whether it's the product, it's the service, it's the awareness, it's whatever, is all a part of what we're gonna call marketing. So, so obviously, um, you know, Chris, you, you, you define some of the marketing pieces to us, you know, educate us on really the differences and, and why it's important for those pieces to be aligned within an organization. Uh, good, good question. Um, and it's something I've, you know, 20 years, I've kind of felt that these uh, bits and pieces of marketing, as we previously described, kind of spread throughout companies. So if you think about, let's say a CFO, and you think about their organizational chart and pyramid, I don't like the word pyramid, but think of their organizational structure. 
you know what you're going to find inside there. We know there's going to be tax. There's going to be, you know, controllership. We know there's going to be FP&A and treasury and, and investor relations. You could, you could lay that out in a CHRO. You could do the same thing. There'd be staffing, there'd be comp and benefits. There might be labor relations and, you know, other elements of that. When you get to, and I think about your craft, you and Darwin and Roxanne and the team at, at Schurig Solutions, you know, when somebody says to you, hey, I'm looking for a commercial lead or a marketing lead, or there's probably a lot of questions that, like, what do you mean by that? And so just if you look at one of the symptoms of what I'll call confusion in our industry and, and in a lot of B2B, look at the titles. So the title today is chief commercial officer, which tends to have a heavy sales component. Used to be a chief revenue officer, but that wasn't customer friendly sounding. So we maybe have faded right. that one. Used to be a chief sales officer. And then you have chief product officers in startups and you have chief marketing officers. So like, wh what? Like, what is that? So who's doing what? And how do you create value across all of that? It's, it's a little scattershot. So what I typically draw for people when I say, okay, let's talk about, forget the titles, forget the org chart. Let's talk about how we create value and how we create the environment in which sales can occur. What I'll draw is the Audi logo. So we're all familiar with Audi, the global brand and auto manufacturer. The Audi logo is four circles in a, in a line and then they overlap. So there's kind of like Venn diagrams, three overlaps and four circles. Right. What we'll draw in the first circle is R&D. Now we're not gonna call that a part of say marketing, but we're gonna say that is responsible for creating ultimately something that is transacted for money. So very important that they're dialed into the marketplace. The next circle we're going to draw would be product management. And product management says, I need more wattage, more amplitude, or have you thought about the Japanese female surgeon with a small hand? How's this device going to work for that versus a large, uh, you know, American? I, you know, we have to think about those things. So, and we see career paths bounce between R&D and product management. The third circle, I'm running out of hands. The third circle <laughs> is going to be in-region or in-country marketing, what's typically called downstream marketing. So this is the team that's catching that product and saying, okay, what price? Let me build the microsite. Let me do some tweeting about it. Whatever that is, let me train the sales force, build the PowerPoint, you know, create the PDFs, all of those things that prepare to go to market. Fourth circle, Salesforce, as you would expect, the final mile, taking that product and connecting up, you know, doing their targeting and working through salesforce.com and, and, and creating that funnel. And then overall, it would wrap with the customer touching all of that. Two things I would add, Brian, in terms of med tech that are critical across all four, regulatory and clinical touch all of that. Like we are nothing without guidance of people who think nothing about the regulations and the rules and the laws and the considerations in our industry those people are part of my marketing plans all the time and clinical affairs as well. Like I, I wish I had gone to med school, woulda, shoulda, coulda, but <laughs> we need that guidance as to how clinicians think, uh, whether they're physicians or nursing or healthcare administrators, we need all of that HP mindset that comes from uh, a med affairs type organization. That's how I see it. So Chris, I, I really appreciate that, that Audi uh, analogy. You know, uh, one of the most important things I think that you mentioned was how they, interline with each other, how they lock in with each other. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously at the very end of that, you're talking about the customer, customer engagement, why clinical is so important. Um, you know, this seems pretty obvious, uh, to a pretty obvious focus on companies who have already launched products and rely on the voice of the customer to, you know, really continue improvement. But, but how important is it uh, for companies in their R&D? Because you mentioned R&D. 
particularly in the R&D stage, and really brainstorming on commercialization strategies? Yeah, great, great question. And, uh, you know, we are certainly nothing without R&D. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about M&A side of that, which is sort of right. like outsourced, uh, you know, r and I mean, there's a lot of ideas and they can't all come from inside our walls. But to answer your question more directly, Brian, um, one of the things I like and one of the things I advise companies is that they really think about a target customer. And often when I ask that question, people will say, oh, you're urologists. And I, I might want to say, well, what kind or what institution are they in? So we're going to go to the world of computed tomography, CT scanning, imaging, radiology. And um, when you, you scan the torso, you know, the, the heart is beating and moving, of course. There's respiration, but the heart is moving quickly. And you really couldn't image that. It's like digital camera shutter lag when we all first got our digital cameras. You know, you got the kid's foot and you missed the whole, you know, scene. <laughs> right. Right. So that was that was really uncharted territory for CT. And you want CT because the the image fidelity, um, the quality, the speed at which it operates, you want all that. So when the physics and the mechanical and electrical engineering got to the point that we could now image the beating heart, the world of cardiac CT was born. Now, while that's going on at a major imaging company, I'm working on a view. A question came across my desk and it said, hey, Chris, how would you think about, in this case, it was the United States, the U.S. hospital market? We have 5,500 hospitals. Like, how are they best grouped and organized? And we all have this sense that, you know, you know when you're walking into a major, you know, top-tier academic medical center. And you know when you're walking into a, a rural hospital. And you might know something when you're a different feel when you go into a government hospital. So we know that there's some differences, but we hadn't really articulated it. So that's what I was trying to do, was map this out, get it on a PowerPoint page, and so we could think about it. And we laid out five different hospital types. And in subsequent work, as we did this in other markets and geographies around the world, it turns out three of those, by the by, are universal. They show up in every healthcare market, whether you're in a private you know, healthcare model or in a uh, social public healthcare model, like they, they show up. There's these archetypes. So product launches, goes into market, and immediately sales start coming in from three of the segments. I wouldn't expect it in all five, right? Not every single person drives a Honda. Some choose the BMW, some right. choose, you know, the Nissan, whatever it may be. So it starts selling in three. The first we would expect, the first is academic medical centers. Oh my gosh, we can image the beating heart. You know what this does for advancing the science for the high acuity patients we see in, in, in our hospital? Like this is a game changer. Take my money. That we would expect. The next we would also expect, and we can all think about, you know, Da Vinci over the last 20, 25 years and intuitive kind of coming into the marketplace and the billboards and the kind of promotion that when the hospital in the IDN on the west side of town got one, uh, it, it wasn't a few months until the hospital on the east side got it. We saw this with cardiac CT. It was also that kind of technology. Oh, my gosh. And so we saw that happen. It was the third type of customer that wowed us. And people came to me and said, hey, Ward, uh, nice job. Uh, there are better days ahead for you. Good effort. <laughs> and let me tell you about the customer. So the, the customer was not who you would expect. It was a more rural customer. I think on a bed size basis, it was in the 90 to 100 range. It's been some years, but it didn't have certain specialties. It wasn't a trauma. Like you, you're like, hmm. And I was on my heels a little bit thinking about why is this? So the answers we seek are not found in the building we sit in typically. So I go out to the market. I talk to customers. I talk to our sales force. I look at our funnel and I dig in. It takes me a few weeks. Here's the answer. They were not buying the Porsche of CT scanning for taking it to the racetrack. 
They were not buying it to keep up with the Joneses. They were buying obsolescence protection. So I do this when I buy my home PC. I buy as many ports as I can get. I buy, you know, as much screen real estate. I buy processor. I buy, and I probably look to Apple like I'm some kind of video game developer or something, a database or Bitcoin miner. And the truth is, I'm just cheap. I want that thing to go for 10 years, better if it can go 12 and not have to replace it in four or five years. That's exactly what this hospital was doing. They were buying obsolescence protection. So same product sold for research, competitiveness, and sold for obsolescence protection. So if you were an engineer and you were thinking, I need to optimize for obsolescence protection, you would design in certain features around serviceability, around lifespan, or maybe better copper wiring that lasts longer. And if you were optimizing for performance, you would gut the race car, single seat, roll cage, you know, like no back seat, you no stereo. You would think about it very differently. That is the difference between liking a product and loving a product. When something's been optimized for you and your need state, oh my gosh, and that ignites markets. And so that is an example of when, you know, marketing as a philosophy of management, you put it at the center of your business and everybody in the chain, whatever function they're in, can make decisions that optimize for that customer type. And again, keeping that customer focused on, you know, how do we build this thing? You know, yeah. where do we go from here? Um, critically important. Um, yep. You know, let, let, let's now take it to the M&A side, right? Yeah. Um, and when, where marketing kind of fits in, you know, Harvard Business Review uh, released an article that stated that companies spend over $2 trillion, with the T, annually on acquisitions. Yeah. Yet 70 to 90% of those M&As are considered failures. Um, you, you recently posted, uh, your recent post on LinkedIn was, was really eye-opening on MedTech's trajectory in, in regard to M&A. Um, you know, what does this have to do with marketing? When I was earlier in my career, I looked at it as sort of there was a little competition between organic and inorganic. And working on the organic side, I kind of saw it as a, almost like a failure of organic growth. If we needed to go acquire something, spend a big right. multiple, a lot of money right. and go, you know, completely wrong. You know, you have to admit your mistakes as you get older, but completely wrong point of view. Because, of course, no matter how good and how well funded the internal R&D teams are, we can't account for all of the innovation potential in the industry. There's going to be great ideas outside of a company, of course. And really having that market scanning kind of view in the market and saying, what are we seeing out there? What are customers talking about? What are the unmet or undermet needs that exist? Um, that's really important. That's kind of the second side of the marketing function is the listening and reflecting back into the organization what's happening in the marketplace. So a, a, a story here of an acquisition uh, this is a product that was born from a surgical tech who is manning the laparoscope, you know, in minimally invasive procedures. And as you put a scope, you know, into anatomy, it's it's warm, you know, there's fluids, there's condensation, right. it gets smudged. And you get into like, there's got to be a better way to keep this thing clean and not have to kind of retract and reinsert and all of those things that just kind of uh, are annoyances at, or, or, or risks potentially in, in certain right. surgery. Right. So... That idea, we started to see that from our sales force show up on more surgical trays, you know, around the world saying, huh, we should look at this. So we got pretty excited about it and thought it could really add. We're in these types of cases. Our sales channels deployed there. Why wouldn't you kind of add that to the bag? So the question came to me, Brian, and it was, hey, 
how much better is this than the warm water bath or then scrubbing like we do with our eyeglasses? You know, we kind of clean off the, the tip of the camera. Uh, so we looked at it and I, I did the research, double blind research, you know, not knowing it's coming from uh, Olympus or, uh, you know, Medtronic or whomever. And we started to see there was real separation between this technology, this approach and anything else, the current standard of care, the status quo. Right. So just going into the discussion with a target company and with a bank and knowing more perhaps than the inventor about how valued this is in the marketplace um, was a, was a pretty big moment for us. And sure enough, like you said, 70 to 90% of acquisitions fail to meet their, their targets. This one was hitting pro forma in year two and year three, which is still really good. Year one is a bit of a, a guess for sure, a guesstimate. So it didn't hit a 10, but by looking at price, by figuring out how valued this was, able to drive that thing into, you know, every OR in the country and around the world. It's an example of what, you know, marketing done well can do in M&A. Gotcha. Well, that, that's very interesting. And, and, and um, you know, maybe our next topic will be, you know, some of the failures, unless you want to share some of the things that you've seen from, hey, you know, they didn't pay attention to that. You know, I don't know if you wanted to, you know, to share any, anything that you had there or, you know, I also want to keep this on the, the hot topic and, and talk about, you know, growth of organizations, uh, you know. Yeah. Any, so, any, you know, on the on the you know failure side, right, if you, you know, maybe you never fail if you take a lot of lessons out of it. These things can be really expensive given the multiples, you know, in the industry, of course. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways. I mean, there could be things that are, uh, you know, uh, you know, hidden or not clear in the acquisition in any one of the functional areas. But working more on the commercial side it really comes down to, you know, the, the the goodness of fit, both for your channel. Like, are we in that call point in a meaningful way? Do we have the credibility? Do we have the permission to sort of represent that? Will they associate that with us? Um, really needs to be understood. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is uh, to, to really get good at like market research. And we right. sort of almost laugh at that word like, oh, the damn focus group. <laughs> I'll give you an example of a, of a focus group. And this is a, you know, 30 second story here is that right. uh, I can think of a product that was launched by an imaging company that was uh, motion correction. So one of the challenges with MRI exams is movement. It's a long exam, as we all know, it's need to be really, really still. And you think about pediatrics, you think about Parkinson's, you just think about having to sneeze and what that does to image quality. So if you could have software that would correct for that level of motion, and resample the data, it would be huge. And sure enough, uh, one company had done that and introduced that. And sitting in a focus group, literally behind the one-way mirror with engineers, with sales, when I go to a focus group, I bring multi-functions into the room and we sit there and we eat our M&Ms and our pizza and we just listen. In this case, radiologists in Los Angeles, they were talking about this technology. They didn't know each other, these radiologists. And one of them says, you know, I." I thought one of them has this motion correction thing. It's, it's pretty cool. And what they go on to say is, and they're like, well, who did that come from? That sounds awesome. And what they said, and I'll use a car analogy as a better, maybe a lingua franca here. Um, they, they called it the Ford Camaro. They basically said, oh, I think the product is called Camaro. And I think it comes from Ford. Of course, the Ford Mustang and the Chevy Camaro are the, are the two vehicles, but they crossed them because they didn't understand who it came from. The room I was in, my peers, the bottom fell out. I mean, we were, we were mortified because it was our proprietary technology, a big deal in the industry. And it's an example of we learned in that moment 
a failure to communicate. The problem with communication is the illusion it occurred. We had not communicated well enough, consistently enough, clear enough that that was us and here were the benefits. So you, you really do hear the most amazing, damnedest things from customers and it enriches your strategy right away. You can't, you can't do enough customer That's insight. a great, great story. Uh, thank you for yeah. definitely sharing that. And I want to you know, continue again, kind of this M&A, shift a little bit of gears, but still have M&A as a topic. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about M&A as this companies become bigger and bigger with acquisitions. You know, there, there are many things that change, right, within an organization. You've got culture change, you have alignments, you have responsibility changes. Yeah. You know, for some people uh, that are in the workforce, the, the big company is, is all they really know, right? Uh, and it's not uncommon for rifts to happen within those organizations, particularly in the, in the M&A situation. You know, we've seen that recently with a number of large organizations here uh, in our market. Yeah. Um, for those people, you know, maybe experiencing that and potentially having to, to shift from a, uh, you know, to shift to a smaller, more entrepreneurial startup company, you know, what's your perspective, uh, you know, what it takes to make that shift, you know, cause you've, you've had experience in both. So, for anybody who's been impacted um, in a reduction in force, you, you have my sympathies. Um, and I, I think this dovetails, by the way, really the opportunity that's in front of you and the work that Brian and Darwin and the team do at Shurig Solutions, you know, realize that we're at this moment of great cross-pollination. You know, you may have a non-compete, you may not, and you're going to end up in some other place. And the experiences, the ideas, the richness that you have is making our industry better I know that's a long-term view and it may not take the edge off of what you're experiencing now, but ultimately our industry and therefore patients benefit from this. It's one of the reasons why I say non-compete agreements, which are starting to uh, come up in, in dialogue are, you know, I look at that and say, hey, if we look at California, we look at Israel places where non-competes don't exist, it's a really good thing for that cross-pollination and we build richer solutions. We come up with bigger and better ideas. So number one, that's, that's the macro view. On a micro view, having gone from big to small, um, what I will say is, you know, 75, I think I heard Mike Minogue talk about this uh, recently, the, uh, the, the former uh, chairman and, and leader of uh, Abiomed. And he was talking about, you know, 75 to 80% of the companies in our industry are these, you know, startup, early revenue, not yet profitable businesses. And to really know MedTech and the way I managed my career was, I wanted to jump into that small stage company and see what it's all about. And if some of the things that frustrate you in larger company life around, you know, the battleship turning or the, you know, the Queen Elizabeth that we say, like you you will pivot a lot. You will need to. Um, and that flexibility is a really important trait that you need to bring into it. People will say an open mindedness, but it's also like this, um, this ability, this agility to go make changes very quickly. You will do that a lot. So there's a level of hustle. There's a level of willingness to pivot and to change that you can't experience in larger, more organized companies. I will also say that the boundaries of org charts and departments are um, very, very thin walls. And so what you should do is run towards the problems, whether they're kind of in your function, in your major or not. Chances are you are a uh, bright, driven, uh, curious, creative individual. Um, you're in med tech for a reason. Jump to where the problems are. It may be something related to HR. It may be something related to sales. It may be product design type issue. 
you know, I, I did that a lot in startup life and it enriched me. It brought me a lot. It engaged me. I mean, some of the most valuable months and years of my life were spent in a startup, just you, dog years, as you hear a lot. So it's, it's a big moment. And uh, I highly recommend to know our industry is to spend some time in those early stage, you know, scale up type companies. Yeah. And, and, and obviously there, there, there are differences, you know, with the, the larger companies, you, you sometimes have all the bells and whistles, the, you know, the cars and the, and the, you know, expense accounts and that sort of thing. And from a startup perspective, you, you have to have that entrepreneurial mind, particularly that, Hey, we're not going to have all this, um, yeah. you know, budgets are, are critical and we have to put that budget to, to, to really good use. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something, um, really appreciate you sharing because that mindset is different. Yeah. It's a fantastic experience. And I, I know you work with a lot of companies, you know, large mid cap and small, and like there is a different feel to them, but trust me, you don't label yourself or think of yourself as like a big company person, um, because you know, you're a med tech person first or a healthcare person first, you know, you're, you're in this again, this in this industry for a reason, and there's a fit for you in, in those companies They will value your experience. Right. Well, I was going to ask you about your closing insights, but that, that really closed it out right there. But, but really what I know uh, or what I want to know from you is, you know, what, what, uh, what's in store for you, you know, what, it, what's your future look like? Yeah, I'll tell you. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting gray hairs is kind of where I'm at. And I'm, what well, I'll welcome say is to the club. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens to the best of us, right? Even you. Uh, so I will say that in my, uh, in my personal life, in my family, um, you know, the, the random bad luck health fairy uh, visited us recently and having, uh, you know, a couple of kids and, and a wife, you know, the four of us go through life together. Um, I had never really seen outside of L and D and the emergency department, really the front end of healthcare until serious illness visited my family. And, Looking at that and seeing all of the wonder, the engineering, the stacked innovation, you know, the medical education all brought to bear on one little family and one little life is breathtaking. And, you know, it, it's, it's always a magical moment when you step into an operating room, you step into any hospital. It, it really is. But when you look at it from that way, I can say that I've never been more charged about working in med tech. In this case, it was cancer. So whether it's oncology or any part you know, of healthcare than I am right now because I've seen the wonder of what it does and how it changes lives. We are some incredibly lucky people to be in med tech and to be part of, you know, the betterment of, uh, of human life. So that's what I'm looking for is to figure out kind of really that next great move for me where I can dig into that scale and grow and uh, get some great stuff done. Um, it's wow. a wonderful time to be in med tech, uh, despite a little bit of movement here and reductions in force and those kinds of things. We're all going to be okay. Yeah. Well, listen, um, it was uh, it was a pleasure again speaking with you. We've had many conversations, but uh, yeah. really appreciate you being here, sharing your insight. Um, have no doubt that you will, uh, you know, that trajectory is going to keep on continuing to go for you. Uh, and uh, again, we look forward to you know to to staying in touch and partnering and and really uh, watching you Thanks. grow. Yeah. Brian, thank you. You, you guys are doing a great job and I, I love the work and, and the approach and the culture that you and Darwin and the team have, uh, have really brought. Um, thanks for the introduction and, uh, uh, and cheers. Well, we appreciate the expertise. Thanks so much. You bet. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureGSolutions.com and follow us on social media and LinkedIn at SureGSolutions.